Hello and welcome to another episode of the Focus Seacast. I'm your host, Corey, aka Focus, and today I'm talking with Bryn Paul about homesteading, health, and diet. Bryn has a pretty interesting diet that he follows, um, and I've started to follow some of the same tenets of it as well. We cover a lot of topics, and there's a lot of good information in this episode, and I hope everyone will enjoy it. But before we get into it, I'd like to make an announcement. I've recently started working with Well-Grown Seed Bank out of Massachusetts, and they'll now be carrying several of my cannabis varieties, starting with my Little Sister Autoflower variety, as well as the Sherman Tactics F4 Autoflower. So if you're interested in picking up seeds, I highly recommend checking them out on Instagram at Well-Grown Seeds, or check out the website, wellgrownseeds.com. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode. So how's it going, Brent? Yeah, it's going good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's warming up a little bit. Did you guys? So. You guys get you got a cold snap down there in Connecticut too? Oh, oh yeah, dude. It was negative like 20 uh, Friday night. So I was yeah. up at my buddy's house and we had like a giant fire and like it was like ripping hot, nice. but my feet were still like completely cold. So everyone was like 12 o'clock. We were all like, all right, let's let's wrap this up. <laughs> But yeah, today's nice. nice. Today it's like 45 out. So yeah, how'd you guys yeah. do with that? About the same, you know, the, the thermometer was like saying negative 20 something and the winds were whipping like crazy. So, you know, they say the wind chill factor makes it feel like negative 40 or something like that. And But my house is like uh, insulated with spray foam. So it's like wicked easy to heat so i actually i'd have i'd have like the door open because we got it way too hot in here (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's kind of nice to have like a arctic breeze coming in the door and uh like basically like sweating (laughs) but uh yeah yeah. um well i was gonna ask you it makes weather like today feel like wicked warm you know now i was like outside this morning in my t-shirt like wow this is like nothing now yeah, yeah, exactly. I was a little worried about my chickens, um, like getting frostbite on their combs, but they seem to be all right. So, um, you know, I'll see in a couple more days, you know, if any of them turn black, but nice. none of them really looked white on the tips. So I think, I think they're good. I was a little worried about that, but nice. Yeah. We just got, uh, we got a few baby roosters from a friend who was trying to get rid of them with like literally the day before we got that crazy temperature drop. So they hadn't, uh, acclimated with the rest of the flock yet so unfortunately uh one of them wasn't bright enough to go into the coop (laughs) and it was and you know this is like a tiny tiny little baby rooster the poor thing uh died of exposure because it just wasn't smart enough to go in the coop but the other little roosters made it they were smart enough to go and huddle in the other birds i'm glad the other ones are right yeah that happens but uh i mean that's the nature's natural selection in uh you know if it's not smart enough to go in the coop it's probably not going to make a very good you know defend defender of the flock so yeah exactly Uh, yeah so i i guess we'll um start off with um if you want to introduce yourself and then like kind of a little bit of how you got into the whole homesteading thing sure yeah my name is bryn paul i uh here in northern vermont and uh currently operating a diversified little homestead on five acres got uh 
few pigs. We've got chickens, ducks, geese, a couple of rabbits. Previously had goats, but uh, currently we've got that. Uh, don't have any goats anymore, but I have two dogs and a cat. And uh, we are working towards scaling up towards more of a small, small farm and using a private food club uh, with a membership kind of model to get food to people. So that's what we're working towards right now. And cool. uh, yeah. So, so how'd you get into the whole uh, homesteading and farming thing? Yeah, well, so my, my uh, journey to get into homesteading was pretty much intimately linked with my own uh, journey to discovering how to eat healthy and take care of myself and my own uh, dealing with <clears throat> some issues I was having with my health five or six years ago. Basically, I uh, came to the realization that if I wanted to have the highest quality food in the world, I had to produce it myself because after working on a couple small farms and uh, learning about all the pitfalls of the food system and how our food in, uh, in the mainstream sources is more or less like completely adulterated. I realized if I wanted to have the highest quality food in the world, I, I had to produce it myself. So basically that journey for me looked like realizing that uh, food can be a way to heal ourselves and medicine for the body. And the old adage, you are what you eat is honestly about as true as it gets. And uh, I started learning about how basically the, uh, the government allows a lot of substances into the food supply and allows a lot of farming practices that are not in our best interest. They're more geared for making foods shelf stable and have the profit margins as high as possible for corporations to make a ton of money on us. And essentially it, uh, it's what I call the pharmaceutical cycle. You know, they, we, we get poisoned with food and then we go to the doctor with symptoms and the doctor acts like it has nothing to do with the food we eat or the lifestyle that we live. And they give us drugs and the drugs mask the symptoms, but don't actually get to the root cause of what's causing the ailments. And uh, just kind of keeps people chasing their tail in a circle forever. So, you know, when I started learning, like, wow, like, GMOs, like, look at what these uh, corporations are doing to these farmers. That's, like, really messed up that they're putting these farmers out of business and uh, persecuting them and essentially poisoning the land with things like glyphosate. I learned about, you know, preservatives in our food and how those are not good for our microbiome. And uh, essentially just came to the conclusion that there's no choice but to grow food because uh, I want to, you know, basically live my best life and become the best version of myself possible. And really, you know, uh, comes down to like also like a desire to like live a long time you know I, I think about like what I want to be doing when I'm 80 years old and I see examples of some really healthy people in their 80s and 90s who are still active I'm, I'm sure everyone's like heard of these people who they're like 80 years old and they pick up snowboarding for the first time or they're like still running a marathon or 
whatever. And I, I kind of decided at a young age that I wanted to be one of those people. I didn't want to become frail and inactive. And uh, so looking into health in the first place kind of came from a desire to want to live a long time, want to live to be over 100 years old and uh, stay strong and healthy in the process. So the logical conclusion to me seemed like you, you got to grow your own food because you, you can't get the same quality food in the grocery store that you can get growing it yourself. It's just not possible. These days, there's just so many chemicals being used. And, you know, even, even if you want to go to the store and get organic produce, if I want to go to the local uh, co-op in town and get organic produce, that organic produce has been uh it's you can watch it there, there's mist coming from the uh the top of the cooler and you know that water that they're misting it with is is the municipal water the municipal water contains chlorine and fluoride and trace amounts of pharmaceuticals that are not uh filtered out of you know the water supply so you know e even if you want to get the highest quality food from the store it's gone through a number of hands. It's been exposed to EMF frequencies. It's been exposed to artificial light sources. It's, you know, it's just been adulterated. And uh, there's really just no other way around it than to just either get it directly from a farmer or to produce it yourself. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I started kind of on this, a similar path, like growing my own vegetables mostly. I did that, you know, as a vegetable farmer for you know, like a good six, eight years. Um, yeah. I mean, once you kind of go down that rabbit hole, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of information. And, he, and I can even get into too, like, um, you know, I'll touch on the, uh, the whole kind of nutrition and health, you know, aspect, but also from a soil perspective, like we're so depleted with um, a lot of the necessary micro um, nutrients and in our soils in general. Um, especially in new England, like we don't have a lot of zinc and copper and stuff like that in our soil naturally. Really? So yeah. So to uptake that into the food is, is, um, you know, it's, it's really difficult. So there's like a lot of people who like, especially Steve Solomon done a lot of work with how to remineralize soils. And then also to planting older heirloom variety vegetables that uptake these nutrients, um, you know, that way they're bioavailable when you eat the food is, is, you know, a huge thing. And then you also too, we have um, the opposite problem too, where we, you have things like rice or cannabis that take up a lot of heavy metals. So especially like uh, brown mm -hmm. rice and stuff like that has a lot of arsenic in it just from uh, years of, you know, being grown in, in pesticide laden areas or if they were grown somewhere uh, near, you know, municipality that was uh, had like runoff from factories or, or stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm in the Connecticut river Valley. So we had a lot of you know brass production. And so like all those heavy metals are still along a lot of the rivers and stuff like that. So it's something you just got to think about. Um, but yeah, and then we can get into the whole other aspect uh, of nutrition too. Um, so you have a pretty interesting diet. So I thought we'd, we kind of touch on that and, you know, talk about that a little sure. bit. Sure. Well, uh, yeah. in in the uh, process of studying, uh, wellness and how to be healthy and uh, the connection between food and, and, and our bodies. I discovered uh, the primal diet, which is uh, uh, basically it's a raw diet that was 
invented by Ogenus Wonderplanets, and it's basically a set of dietary protocols, but uh, by and large, it's a raw animal-based diet, and uh, raw milk, raw meat, raw eggs are the cornerstones of the diet. There's also raw vegetable juices and fruit and uh, um, some other various things that are part of the diet, but uh, basically when I learned that you can eat raw meat and not get sick, it was kind of this major aha moment for me because like most people, I grew up like if you touch the raw chicken, you had to wash your hand, you know, you, you don't want to like cut the same thing with a knife that you touch the raw chicken with. There's kind of this like built in germophobia into my, uh, into my existence that I didn't really like think of as, I didn't think of myself as a germaphobe, but it was just one of those things that I never really questioned. So when I came across this guy who's like telling you, you can eat raw chicken and you can eat raw pork and, uh, that these things are not only not dangerous, but that are actually very like healthful and healing. It was kind of like, kind of blew my, uh, blew the paradigm, my mind like wide open. And, uh, started implementing those things into my life and experimenting with the diet. And it's been four years now of experimenting with eating a lot of raw animal foods. And over the four years, it's been like a steady progression towards including more and more of them. Uh, the raw dairy and the raw eggs right from the start were became daily staples for me. But uh, it, it really took a number of years of deprogramming myself to have the, the raw meat and the raw organs and stuff become, uh, you know, rather than something I do here and there to become like a daily thing. Cause the, uh, the level of programming and indoctrination and fear-based thinking our whole lives is, uh, it's pretty, it goes really deep. So it, it's kind of takes, in my experience, it's taken years to kind of work through that and, uh, retrain myself. And part of that is also like retraining my taste buds, but, um, now I'd say I eat like probably 70 to 90% raw on uh, any given day or week. And um, the process of, of eating this way has really just also changed the way I see kind of everything. And it's changed the way that I approach homesteading and uh, my connection with the earth and the soil and wanting to kind of be a part of the the complete cycle and really harmonize my inner world with like the outer world and how it's uh, it's all kind of just a reflection. Like my health is a reflection of the soil health. The soil health is a reflection of my health. You know, I, I uh, compost my own shit, for example. So it's uh, I'm using that eventually to like fertilize some trees here and then I'll pick the fruit of the trees and I'll eat the, the fruit. So it's, it's kind of one of the big exciting things for homesteading is to just that you get to kind of create this little micro climate ecosystem and tap into it and kind of just be part of uh, the full circle. But uh, as far as the, the diet is concerned, it's uh, for, for the people who are listening, when I say, you know, you can eat raw meat and it's it's completely safe. I want to, uh, I guess, clarify that a little because the, I guess the typical like, belief is that the bacteria are dangerous. Certain bacteria are dangerous and harmful and cooking makes it safer 
But uh, it turns out is that kind of idea is kind of more of a uh, a smokescreen to basically obscure the true cause of illnesses from food, which are the industrial chemicals and the industrial processes that are used to produce a lot of the food in this country and elsewhere in the world. So for example, like chicken, if you eat high quality chicken, there's really nothing to be afraid of for bacteria. But if you're eating a chicken that's produced by Purdue, that chicken has been raised with antibiotics and vaccines and been uh, probably in close confinement quarters its whole life, stepping in shit, eating GMO, soy and corn, things that are not really part of a chicken's natural diet, a lot of waste and byproducts that they get fed. So then the meat becomes full of these chemicals. And then when you eat that meat, you are ingesting chemicals. So, so, uh, Essentially, the quality of the meat is really the uh, underlying factor of whether something is safe to eat or not. And uh, when it comes to something like eggs, it's the same thing, like a, a high quality egg that is produced in a clean environment and the chicken has access to fresh air and sunlight and is eating uh, some you know more natural foods, like that egg is going to be completely safe to eat. There isn't going to be any salmonella. We all have salmonella in us, honestly. And basically, the whole fear of bacteria is 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 just uh, to kind of make us afraid of ourselves and to to make us fear what is actually makes us healthy because we are mostly bacteria. And in our the way our digestive system works, we actually are essentially feeding on the waste of bacteria that eats our food. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's extremely relevant to growing food and homesteading as far as I can tell because uh, there, there really is no separation between, you know, what we eat and what we become. Yeah, and yeah, it's especially with somewhere like Purdue who's processing like a bunch of chickens in a slaughterhouse. I mean, that's why they have to keep it so clean because... <laughs> It's just like the bacteria build up, especially because you have animals that aren't healthy to begin with is, is crazy, you know, and you're actually more likely to get salmonella poisoning from like something like lettuce, um, just because of the way it's harvested and grown, um, at mass scale. Yeah. yeah. So people don't realize that, um, and a lot of times it's like the bacteria, it's like, it's kind of like, uh, it's like the bacteria are making us sick because the bacteria are poisoned not because of the bacteria inherently. So, and another thing, uh, often, you know, like raw milk, for example, gets get blamed. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. You like go to the, the places that I buy raw milk from, like legally to sell it, they have to have a disclaimer that says this can cause like illness and it's not good for pregnant women or whatever. But what what's actually happening when somebody, like pe people aren't actually getting sick from raw milk in the past, some of the so-called outbreaks that caused them to start pasteurizing were from extremely dirty conditions, like you were saying, and uh, like conditions where the animals weren't healthy to begin with. But uh, often you'll hear someone say like, oh, I had raw milk and it like gave me diarrhea and I got sick. I got food poisoning. Often what's happening is 
uh, somebody doesn't have very much bacteria in their diet to begin with, uh, or enzymes in their diet. So their, their body is like basically deficient in, in those things. And they introduce new bacteria, new enzymes into the body and the body's like, wow, thank you so much. And then takes it as an opportunity to purge stuff in the body and to, uh, do some cleaning work. So it's actually like it get it, the symptom appears to be getting sick, but it's actually like a, a purging process because the body has been like basically desperate for having some extra bacteria to do its cleansing work. So it's uh, it's unfortunate that raw milk ends up getting blamed for those things when it's really the person who is eating uh, a poor diet. It's fault to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. But, raw uh, milk like, is like you're saying. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying, like, raw milk it does get such a bad rap. And it's so dense in, like, probiotic bacteria. Yeah, that, like, I think a lot of it, too, is like somebody drinks it and, like, their digestive system doesn't know what to do with it because it's just, like, so rich in bacteria and enzymes. But in a good way, you know, that's the other thing, too, is, like, if you drink it again, like, your body gets used to it. And um, I'm somebody who didn't drink milk for yeah. years. And then, like, you know, I started drinking raw milk and like we were you know when we were talking last time like it just tastes so much better like i feel so much better after i drink it and you know i drank some regular like whole you know whole milk that was like homogenized and pasteurized and it tasted so horrible and afterwards my stomach hurt so bad and like i've been drinking raw milk for months and i've never had that happen before in my life so yeah it's just it's just weird nice yeah yeah, I think raw milk's one of those, uh, one of the real like pivotal, pivotal, um, pivotal things that could really make like a huge difference for the overall health of this country if if uh, the raw milk laws were were changed. You know, it's kind of like crazy to see like drugs getting decriminalized, but like raw milk is still like this it's basically treated like this illicit drug you know you can literally get fentanyl easier than you can get raw milk you can go and get like hard prescription drugs and meth and heroin literally easier in a lot of places in this country than you can get raw milk and it's uh it, it's really kind of showing of you know the overall picture of you know how ass backwards everything is and uh how they really kind of don't want us to to be healthy because you know you talk to anyone who drinks raw milk on a consistent basis they're not gonna nobody has anything bad to say about it everyone's kind of it's all praises because once you you taste the difference you get like a fat cream line and you're drinking the you know the thick creamy rich tasting milk it's like you, you can't go back you know it's like there's no no going back and saying that the other stuff's better after you've experienced it. And having drinking milk my whole life as a kid, when I first ex discovered raw milk, it was like, I was honestly kind of pissed off. <laughs> I was like, like my whole life, like I was missing out on this. Like I was like two, grew up on 2% milk and I could have been getting this from like a, a local farm down the road. And I mean, what's amazing about it is like now I go and I go directly to the farm I'm giving my money directly to a farmer. There's no, uh, there's no middleman there. So it feels like it's just like a feel good transaction, win, win all around. I'm putting money directly in a farmer's pocket and I often get to hang out and shoot the shit with them for 10 minutes while I'm, while I'm getting it.
yeah. something I end up looking forward to going on a milk run. Yeah, I get it from a local. But I understand horses. milk's legal in Connecticut, right? You can What's you can that? get it from a store there, right? Yes, yes. You, you can get yes, raw milk can. in a store. That's where I buy it from. I buy it. There's a there's a really nice grocery store that's locally owned, um, about 20 minutes from me. Um, I grew up like right down the street from it, and uh, I get like all my kind of like high quality food that I want, um, like my raw milk, or if like. I don't know we were talking last time like I love mayonnaise still I was able to find mayonnaise without um seed oil in it so it just got avocado oil so nice. like once in a while I grab some of that yeah. from there but almost like that kind of thing and then yeah I get like my my organ meat and like my other like high quality uh you know beef and pork from friends of mine who own a farm so it's nice to have you know I got in the grocery store I can grab some more more kind of like pre-made not like super processed, but you know, stuff that's a little bit more difficult to make myself from there. And then, you know, I have my kind of yeah. meat that I get from my friends. Um, is the raw milk, is that a new, a new thing to be able to buy raw milk in a grocery store in Connecticut? Or has that been uh, like that for a while? It's been, I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of any law here that made it illegal. I think it just kind of fell out of fashion more or less because of the bad rap it gets. But now that it's kind of, you know, that kind of is coming like the whole you know organic food movement type thing is getting popular again um you know farms like specifically are are you know have it available for grocery stores there's like only one farm that i know of um in my area that does it there are other farms in the state but and they're carried in the grocery store so it, it works out well and it wasn't like that um you know, 10 years ago, they didn't have any raw milk in this grocery store. Um, and I'm not sure this dairy existed yeah. either. They might be, I think they're a newer farm or they were just, you know, they've been around, but they just never, you know, they never sold it um, in stores at least. So, um, but something interesting. You yeah, I think it's, it's got the potential to really change uh, the paradigm for small, small dairy farms because uh, in Vermont in the last like 10 or 20 years, we've lost about half of our small dairy farms because they're all, uh, you know, like, just the, the way the, the model is set up is not, it's really hard to make a living as a dairy farmer doing the, uh, the conventional method with, you know, uh, having a ton of Holsteins and, and growing corn silage and, and then selling to a dairy co-op and pasteurizing it all. That model has become very challenging to, to make work. So the only ones who are really succeeding are the large dairies and they're, consolidating and you know basically we, we now have just a bunch of huge versions of those where they have like mass uh massive barns and we're kind of losing the the cute quaint little hillside dairy farms that used to be all over vermont and that you still see the the remains of but are now mostly not so functional anymore but i think the raw milk paradigm is really the uh the only hope for small farms like that to start to get a foothold again and become profitable because uh and you can get a lot more money per gallon for raw you know high quality dairy i i pay right now eight dollars a gallon and you know compare that to like i don't know what a conventional gallon is going for but it's probably twice as you know literally you're getting twice as much money and uh i know some small farms in vermont are making it work with the with the small raw milk model right now but the laws are still kind of sketchy in Vermont. I know it, we've seen uh, some positive changes in the last few years. I know I think as of like a, a year ago, now you can bring 
your raw milk to the farmer's market, whereas before it had to be directly from the farm. And now you can have like a, a pickup, a designated pickup location too. But there's still a lot of restrictions that, that seem very unnecessary that are kind of kind of keeping the little guys down and, and kind of keeping it from uh, becoming like a super popular thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was up in New Hampshire, I noticed they can also, um, have raw milk in stores. It's, it's just interesting. New England in general. Um, most of New England actually has pretty decent farming laws, especially Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. You guys have like cottage industry law too, which is nice. So you could do like small batch of like value added or prepared foods. Um, Connecticut is probably the outlier in that where we don't have any of that. We're not able to do anything without, you know, going through state regulation, including milk. So, all right. So if you wanted to do like, you didn't need like a commercial kitchen basically. Yeah. Yeah. So like, say you wanted to, yeah. If I wanted to do pickles with like, you know, everything grown on my farm and I pickle on my farm, I need a commercial kitchen. I need a food, a food uh, processing license. I need to be inspected. Um, I know it's not like that for Maine. I mean, and same Vermont, I'm pretty sure New Hampshire too. Um, but I know, yeah, I, know I think it's up to like up to $10,000 in sales is the cutoff in Vermont. Yeah. Which is nice. For, Cause that, for- that, Awesome. yeah i mean that makes sense too because then you can at least try the product out and see if people want it here it's like you got to invest like five right. to ten thousand dollars right <laughs> off the rip and then it doesn't work and you're like okay well that was a waste of time um but last time we were talking you mentioned something interesting about the loss of the local butcher so i thought it'd be cool for you to talk about yeah. that a little bit sure yeah well you know since i i started eating a uh heavily meat-based you know, animal-based diet, my, uh, my natural inclination was to want to get fresh meat all the time that hadn't been frozen because although, you know, frozen meat is convenient, certainly super convenient. And I, I certainly eat plenty of it and have five freezers full of meat right now, but, uh, you do lose some nutrients in the process of freezing. And, you know, specifically with the, uh, raw diet, a a large part of the intention is to be getting the bacteria and the enzymes uh, that are in the the raw foods while it's still alive. You know, it's essentially like a living food when it's fresh and unfrozen. So uh, starting to try to seek out unfrozen meat, I just realized that like, it's for the most part, it's like really hard to get your hands on something that is at least local and unfrozen grocery stores, like the bigger chains around here, like price chopper and Hannaford's pretty sure a lot of their meat is unfrozen. But if you want to get something that was grown, you know, less than 50 miles from your house or less than a hundred miles from your house, even that just doesn't exist, which is kind of, uh, it's kind of another one of those things that seems like relatively ass backwards because I can get meat from, like Australia that I don't think has been frozen, but I can't get meat from my neighbor that hasn't been frozen. Cause, uh, and, they, and again, this also comes back to some of the, the laws that are in place that are kind of prohibitive for the little guys to succeed because it, the, the laws kind of, unfortunately, um, you know, they're, they're kind of designed to protect industry and protect the big guys and the slaughterhouses and the, uh, the large corporations. But yeah, uh, Basically, in my area, there's a butcher at the local grocery store, but they they don't have anything local or anything grass fed or anything pastured or anything organic. It's all commercial USDA beef and chicken. And uh, 
it's 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 unfortunate because I I would love to get my hands on, you know, like fresh steaks that were harvested two days ago. And I know in the past, you know, butchers were common all over, and they still are in you know other parts of the world, Europe, I believe, it's a pretty common model, South America, but uh, we've kind of lost that, and it's it's really sad to see. And I think that um, in a, in addition to the the raw milk laws and uh, some of the other laws we just mentioned, uh, you know, a resurgence of, of butchers, local butchers would be one of the most positive kind of cultural changes that we could uh, help bring forth to really like change the model from uh, corporate factory farming model to like small regenerative farming model in the process of doing that, you know, just completely increase the level of health and vitality that people have access to because I mean, most people are, are okay with the frozen because it's convenient and they don't really know any, any different, but there, there's definitely a difference aside from, you know, loss in some nutrients, the, the experience is better in my opinion to eat fresh meat. It tastes better, just tastes more vital. Um, so that, that's actually part of what, uh, the direction that I'm taking my homestead in. we want to scale up to be able to offer people exactly what we're unable to get ourselves at, at, at the time. Like if I want uh, a fresh chicken that's never been frozen, I basically at the moment have to raise it myself. And I know that there's uh, a lot of people out there who want this service and want to have access to this. And currently because I live in a rural area, those people aren't directly in my community, which is makes it a little bit challenging, but I know all over the country, there are a lot of people who don't have access to this similarly to Vermont. Like I'm actually pretty lucky cons overall considering because in Vermont, there is a ton of access to really high quality food, a lot of small farms, a lot of people doing it the right way, but you know, in the Midwest or New Jersey or, you know, like there's a lot of places all around this country where access to food is just, it's like a food desert. All you have is the commercial available. If you wanted something fresh and you just wouldn't be able to find it. So my goal is to basically be able to offer that to people. And uh, there's this farm in Pennsylvania called Amos Miller farm. You might've heard of them. They, uh, they've been on the, the news a couple times. Uh, some alternative news has covered their situation because they, uh, they've been under the you know scrutiny of the USDA in the last couple of years because they have this private food membership club. They have like a few thousand members. And a lot of these people are actually people who are on the same um, diet, the primal diet that I'm on. Other people are, you know, more inspired by Weston A. Price Foundation and, but in general, just want a high quality, unadulterated, product that has not been tainted with chemicals and has been uh, got to live like a happy, healthy, natural life and slaughtered humanely. And uh, they offer that because it's an Amish farm and they raise everything in a like supernatural way, all in pasture, natural food, natural feed. And then they we're slaughtering it all on farm. And that's where the USDA stepped in and decided that they didn't like that. And uh, they've been dragging them through court for the last two years. It sounds like they actually might be um, making some positive headway. And this is kind of like a monumental case, honestly, for 
how it affects all other farms that might want to do something similar because this private food membership model has uh it's the model that i, I want to use on my farm here but basically you pay a membership fee and you sign an agreement and it's like a essentially uh saying that you understand that the processes that they are using and this is exactly what you want and you understand the risks yada yada it's kind of like a just a disclaimer so i've uh ordered a few times from amos miller and uh they have you know phenomenal phenomenal products it's actually unfortunately i can't buy raw butter here in vermont nobody produces raw butter so i've ordered raw butter and raw unsalted cheese from amos miller a couple times but uh, one of the main reasons people want to order their meat from Amos Miller and not go get it from a butcher or USDA sanctioned facility is that all USDA facility meats are sprayed with a chemical solution, usually like citric or lactic acid, which is basically an antimicrobial. And this is uh, supposed to extend the shelf life and you know make the meat safer. But really, it just ends up having an antimicrobial effect on our microbiome, and that's just ultimately uh, not healthy. So, yeah, I mean, local local butchers and small farms that are able to produce fresh is the is the model that I think we need to bring forth in the world. Yeah, definitely. So. Um... Yeah. And we were talking last time too. Um, you know, I, I feel like we have kind of like, we came to this whole diet thing in a very similar way where you're kind of doing more of like the primal raw meat thing, but I'm, I came in it through more of, um, you know, trying to get rid of, uh, especially sugar and, um, you know, seed oils, um, like eliminating that from your diet is extremely helpful. They cause a lot of inflammation. Um, and yeah, and like just eating, you know, meat on the bone that has like, you know, bone marrow on it, has collagen on it, eating more organ meats. Cause that's another benefit of having a local butcher is a lot of times you don't see, you know, you might get beef liver in your store and that's probably the only organ meat you're going to see. Um, so it'd be nice to get totally. a, a wider variety, you know, and actually use all of the, the cow or the pig or the chicken, you know. That, that's that's absolutely yeah man. food is food is medicine and, and the organs especially are super medicinal and i would love to have access to fresh organs currently that's yeah for that exact reason i i the only time i get to eat organ meat is when i'm involved in slaughtering an animal myself because they don't the store doesn't have it and there's no local butchers to me i know there's, there's probably a couple butchers around vermont if i want to drive like an hour or an hour and a half but you know, it's the, the sad thing is I know a lot of that organ meat just gets totally wasted. Even, uh, you know, people who are slaughtering like like a hundred chickens on their farm, a lot of them are just completely just tossing the hearts and the, the livers because there isn't a market for them. Fortunately, you know, that's part of the problem is consumers aren't demanding these things because consumers don't know any better. We weren't, there was somehow between you know, a hundred years ago when these foods were appreciated and never wasted to now there is, uh, the information was lost. And, uh, my parents certainly didn't know about these things 
I'm not even sure their parents knew about these things either. So the loss of information came about sometime, you know, in the last hundred years, but it probably came, you know, it's probably like around after World War II, you know, I hear there's like a like big push for canned food and convenience. And uh, I think like people kind of got dazzled with fancy marketing and uh, you know, they were kind of sold a false bill of goods with uh, margarine and canned food being some sort of wonder for their life. Yeah. And uh, Ansel Keys, man, kind of so, took health for granted. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, it's funny. My grandma grew up on a dairy farm in Pennsylvania. So she grew up, you know, drinking raw milk and they had raw butter and all that. And then by, you know, the sixties when she was having kids, she was using margarine and stuff. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. It's, it's weird. And that's, so that's what my mom grew up with. And then like, it kind of just carried over. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about like kind of what you, what you, you had in, in mind for your model or like your, your idea for, uh, for how you wanted to kind of market your stuff. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, I'm not currently raising meat birds, but, uh, last year I raised almost 200 meat chickens. And then, uh, come the fall, I had, you know, a few days where I had to process like 50 birds in a day. And it was kind of like a ton of work and it was pretty overwhelming. And then all of a sudden I had this enormous freezer full of chicken and, you know, didn't really have a, a ton of markets for it at the time. Like at this point I, I did manage to sell them all, but, uh, it took, you know, like a, about a year of having like a, two freezers full of, full of birds. And, uh, it is nice to have freezers full of meat. It is like a, a nice way to have food security. You know, I, I, at the moment I could not go grocery shopping again for the next year and have enough food for me and my girlfriend to eat comfortably, probably for more than a year, which is feels good knowing that, you know, that I don't have to worry, but at the same time, for the reasons I was saying, like, I prefer to eat fresh meat. I would prefer to eat like just a fresh chicken that wasn't frozen for six months. And I would prefer to not have to pay to the electric company to run, you know, five or six freezers, whatever I've got going right now. So I started thinking about kind of like changing the model around to rather than raising a whole bunch of birds and then harvesting them all at once, creating a system where I stagger the harvest. So I, I start like maybe say I start like 12 birds this week, then I start 12 birds the next week and I start 12 birds the next week after that. Set up a system where basically every week I am harvesting whatever my demand is at the time, like I'm starting from scratch. So, and, and we're at like the homestead scale right now. So basically creating currently enough food to feed myself and some friends and family and have some like gifts for people. It's, you know, not really at a commercial scale yet, but I want to kind of scale it up to its uh, small commercial scale where say I have like, can basically say I could harvest 10 chickens a week. And then the next week I harvest 10 more chickens but then those chickens are getting sold fresh and they have homes immediately. People who are going to cook a chicken that week or eat a chicken raw that week, whatever. 
and uh, or, or to a restaurant that wants to have like the freshest meat available on the menu and completely just do away with the freezer model altogether because uh, that way I'm getting what I want out of it, which is to have the, the access to the fresh meat. And uh, it just kind of, it seems like a more efficient system to work towards for aligning with what I want and the, the consumers that I want to please. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be experimenting this spring with a similar model with the, uh, the pigs I already have currently. I have, uh, I'm, I'm looking over here cause they're like right outside the door. I, I have the, the, the winter pig pen is like 20 feet from the house. Um, but, uh, I have two sows right now and a boar and the sows are probably going to give birth in the, within the next month. And, uh, Last year I raised, I kind of did the same thing as the chickens. Like I raised a ton of pork up and then all of a sudden they were all big at the same time and it was kind of chaotic and stressful to harvest a whole bunch of pork all at once, process it all myself and freeze it all. And then it takes up a ton of freezer space and then I'm sitting on it, running freezers, et cetera. And uh, <clears throat> so I'm going to try kind of a model similar to the chickens where I start harvesting pigs at a younger age than I typically would if I was going to be growing them to their maximum size. So maybe at like, say a month and a half or two months, I'll harvest a small piglet and I'll have fresh meat for maybe two weeks, three weeks, or up to a month. Uh, really depends on how well you store it in your fridge. You know, if you hang it, etc. That's a, that's another thing I've been learning a lot about how to like, store it in your fridge without it going bad but essentially rather than having a bunch of huge pigs come like midsummer or fall i'm going to ideally by the time the uh end of summer rolls around have harvested them all already and uh at that point the the two sows will be pregnant again and i can kind of repeat the cycle but that way i won't ever be having to do all the work at once and I'll be able to have fresh meat available at all times for myself. So that's the model I'm working towards because I'm like, I was saying, like, I don't have access to a butcher. So I'm trying to create basically what I don't have available to me here on the farm and be able to offer that to my friends and family. And ideally, you know, help raise uh awareness to other consumers in the area and generate some interest so that i can uh supply some other people with fresh unfrozen meat currently um i uh, i live in a rural town and i don't know that many people who care unfortunately so a lot of the people who i know would want this product are spread out around the country people i interact with on uh, social media who are on the, the same diet as me. And uh, a lot of the, those people do order their food from Amish farms in Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, shipping meat though is a, is a pretty big ordeal. I, I experimented last spring with shipping eggs to people and there was a huge demand for the eggs I was raising. Cause I was, uh, I, I don't feed, um, it's, it's hard to find soy free um, unwash unrefrigerated eggs because most stores require that you wash and refrigerate the eggs. And, uh, so there's this niche market online for primal dieters 
for, for these eggs. And, uh, my chickens were creating like four or five dozen eggs a day. So I was like, Oh my God, this is like way more eggs than I know what to do with. Decided to start selling them. And, uh, then I was faced with the learning curve of how to ship eggs. And after, uh, I had some success at first Some people were getting packages with like, I'd ship like seven dozen or something and they'd get like one or two broken eggs. But then like, it started getting a little warmer out. And then I had a couple people who <laughs> got packages of like a hundred, like all of them were broken and they were reeking to high hell and stinking. And it, it all of a sudden became like really not, uh, not a good model at all. <laughs> Cause uh, it was essentially just like losing money at that point. Cause it takes a lot of time and effort to ship something uh, so that it's not going to break, especially something like an egg. But uh, with meat, you, you have to keep it fresh. So you have to have ice packs in there or dry ice. So an insulation. So all of a sudden you're, uh, you're shipping like a pretty large box and the shipping cost becomes really expensive. And uh, you know, that's, it's not really a sustainable model realistically, you know, people, are willing to pay these high prices because they don't have access to it themselves. But I would say really the solution is that more people get involved in homesteading and regenerative farming and consumers start to, to learn to demand higher quality food so that uh, the market responds with producing higher quality food. Cause that's really what it comes down to is consumers are, we are responsible because by choosing convenience over freshness by choosing quantity over quality we end up uh shooting ourselves in the foot ultimately um because all these foods it's not it's not unrealistic that we could all have access to all the highest quality foods in the world it's just most people would rather have uh the new iphone and and spend their money in that way or spend their money on uh you know their expensive car payment every month than the highest quality food on earth. That's going to make them uh, ultimately live a lot longer and be happy and healthy into old age. You know, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of crazy when you consider how much people are willing to spend to get better once they get sick, but aren't willing to spend that up front to prevent getting sick in the first place. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I've, <laughs> been working on myself you know is, is like i said last time i've been work, improving my diet over time um and and i feel like i've done like probably the most of most good work on it the last year even though i've always eaten like a lot of the vegetables and stuff that i grew myself i still you know it's like you don't even realize it you know still eating some seed oil still eating a lot of sugar so definitely cut back on all that stuff a lot and it, you could they, tell they right sneak away. it into everything it's yeah. it's like it's literally in everything it's yeah. uh it's really insane when you start reading labels it's kind of uh you know even even like or the stuff that's like organic is not doesn't really mean that much these days you can go to the store if you and if you want to buy organic heavy cream you'd think that organic heavy cream would mean you're getting just heavy cream, but it's, it's not even the case anymore. Uh, if you go buy organic cream, if, if you don't read the label, you might be getting disodium phosphate or uh, gel and gum 
or guar gum. Those are just three of the additives I've seen on organic heavy cream. So it's really insane, you know, what is is allowed because these, uh, these corporations, again, it comes back to like where the money is, like they're, uh, they're willing to, uh, the government's willing to cater to the, who's got the money to lobby for, you know, watering down the laws to make it okay to, you know, completely adulterate the food. But a lot of people, you know, they kind of, uh, fortunately, we've been, we're so susceptible to marketing that. You know, we, uh, just the, or the little organic label for some people, it's enough to, and, and I was, I was there too. Like I used to just think, oh, organic, that means it's healthy. So I was eating like a ton of like organic junk food that was loaded with sugars and seed oils and, uh, preservatives and stuff just because I, I said or organic or it said non-GMO project on it. So these little labels can be confusing sometime and, uh, people really need to learn to look at the ingredient list you know, scour that shit. <laughs> you can't, you can't take it for granted that it's going to be healthy just because there's a, a farm on the front of the, the box or, uh, <laughs> yeah. or even better. Just, just don't buy something that comes in a box in the first place, you know? <laughs> like, just, yeah. Just cause it's organic sunflower oil doesn't mean it's healthy either. So <laughs> still, still not good. Right. For you. Exactly. Um, but, uh, exactly. I thought, last time you talked about, or you went over your diet, um, like kind of what your day-to-day -day diet is. I don't know if you wanted to just do a quick overview for anyone who's like interested in, in kind of what, what that sure. means. Yeah, sure. So, uh, on a typical day I will eat <clears throat> typically first thing in the morning, I might have uh, a couple sips of mel raw milk or something to, uh, just kind of hydrate a little bit in the morning. I don't drink very much water anymore. I, uh, having started this diet, I, uh, I learned that I, I used to be one of these people who like, you know, they tell you drink a lot of water. So I'd walk around with, a uh, my big thing of water and I'd probably drink a half a gallon of water a day at least. And I was pissing all the time, but I didn't make the connection between like, Oh, okay. I'm like, I'm drinking all this water and I'm also pissing all the time. So therefore it's not actually hydrating me because my body is, eliminating all the water so uh, i learned that like overdoing it with water can actually like flush nutrients out of your system and uh thin the mucus in your digestive tract which is is not always a, a beneficial thing so i i do drink some some water but I, I used to start the morning with like you know guzzling a ton of water now like i might have a few sips of water or i might have a few sips of milk and then uh when i get hungry i'll i'll typically have some uh a small meat meal and uh, for me a meat meal usually looks like something that would resemble beef tartare which is uh one of the more normalized raw meat dishes you can order it at a lot of fancy restaurants it's basically finely chopped ground or ground beef with egg yolks and they typically put some like mustard or something in there for flavor so I'll, I'll do some sort of spin off on that. And I'll take whatever meat I happen to have that week on hand. Often it's something like some grass fed ground beef or uh, some steak or something. Uh, sometimes it's chicken or sometimes it's, it's some pork I've raised myself. It really depends. Uh, this week I have some fresh goat meat in the fridge from my, uh, my girlfriend helped uh, some friends on their homestead process their goats. So we got a, a whole goat leg. So I'm working on that right now. So Actually, after we're done talking here, I'll probably have uh, exactly what I'm describing for lunch. I'll, I'll take some of the meat. I'll chop it up into small pieces. 
I'll uh, crack some eggs and take the yolks out and I'll mix the, the egg yolks in to get a, I like to have like a nice fat to protein ratio there. If, if meat is super fatty, I might forego the egg yolks, but uh, the egg yolks are a nice way to get some fat in there. If I, if the meat is, is lean, um, then I'll mix, you know, something in for flavor, maybe a little bit of raw apple cider vinegar. We have a little bit of homemade mustard. Sometimes I use, uh, sometimes I'll use some, like, if I have some like nice hot sauce on hand or, uh, olive oil goes pretty nice with meat and some spices maybe, or, uh, coconut aminos. You know, it really just depends on, you know, the mood, but add a, a few things like that in for flavor mix it up and boom, there you go. It's like, that'll be one of the first meals I have of the day. Typically then in the afternoon, I'll often have, uh, just some raw eggs plain and, um, maybe some more meat and, uh, basically have the same thing again for dinner. And, uh, every night it's kind of like a ritual at this point. I, uh, and sometimes I do this in the afternoon too, but I'll make a, a milkshake smoothie, which is basically, I'll usually use about six raw eggs and raw milk and some local unheated honey. And, uh, I say unheated because, uh, raw is not a regulated term. A company can tell you their honey is raw and then they actually will heat it above the temperature that starts to kill enzyme activity while they're, uh, you know, bottling it. So some unheated honey and then a bit of fruit lately. Uh, there was a sale at the co-op on organic stra uh, frozen strawberries. So uh, I'll, I'll mix a handful of organic frozen strawberries in there and then you blend it up. And uh, it's, it's the most phenomenal tasting thing in the world. Like honestly, I, I love it more than ice cream. It's the raw eggs and the, and the fruit make it so creamy. And, uh, it's kind of amazing how many more raw eggs I can eat than I can eat cooked eggs. I used to eat four cooked eggs and that would be pretty much my limit. Any more than that, it might not feel so great. <clears throat> now I can, uh, I can eat six raw eggs at a time in a smoothie and it, it just feels great. Uh, really easy to digest, but, uh, that's basically the, the basis of my diet right there. You know, I'll, might uh you know have some um a cooked starch here and there some some potatoes on the side or some sourdough bread sometimes depending on what the meal is um a couple nights ago i had uh just some cooked organic pasta with raw ground beef mixed in really phenomenal right like rice tastes good with ground raw beef too like honestly you can sneak raw beef into anything that you put cooked beef into and it, it's uh once you mix in some flavors or some raw cheese or something it, it you wouldn't even know the difference except for that uh i find that it, it digests like super smoothly and uh just goes down well so that's a typical day of eating for me uh, just lots of lots of raw milk i probably drink a uh, half a gallon of raw milk a day on average and probably average anywhere from like six to 12 eggs and then probably um anywhere between one and two pounds of, of meat depending on the day depending on how much milk i drink the more milk i drink the, the less room i have in my belly for the meat so i try to be 
you know, not overdo it on the milk too much, but it's, it can be hard sometimes because it's, it's pretty addicting stuff. I've found yeah. It's easy to just chug it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like my thing. Usually after I work out, like in the morning, I'll have my cup of coffee and then I'll like I'll work out and then it's like a glass of raw milk and then I'm like good for three or four hours. And then, you know, lunch, it's like some eggs, usually like three to four eggs with a bunch of cheese. And then, um, you know, nice. I don't, I don't really eat, I eat some raw eggs, but, uh, not too much. And I don't really eat much raw meat. I've tried it. Um, I kind of want to eat more, but it's just not something I really do. Well, you know, and my, my wife's not really super into it. I mean, she eats, she eats kind of the same diet yeah. I do, but, <laughs> but so we end up, I'm, I'm like, telling you the tartar, you gotta sex yeah, it up what... a little bit and it's, uh, it's, it's where it's at. It's like a nice, a nice treat sometimes, or, or honestly, uh, another way to do it. If, uh, that's a little bit easier for some people to, to get into sometimes is, is with like raw fish. You take some, like, get some um like some raw haddock or some uh some wild caught like alaskan salmon or something really nice like that cut it up into small pieces and you put uh like lemon juice on it and you, you make ceviche and so so actually it's like kind of technically cooking it with the the acids from the uh the lemon juice or the lime juice if you use lime juice and uh it, it'll actually yeah basically cook it you let it sit for 30 minutes or an hour or two and uh mix in some like onions, some garlic. Uh, I like to put in some like pineapple or uh, some, some avocado and uh, maybe some mango even. And uh, you get this like, maybe some like parsley or cilantro. You just get this like, it honestly, it tastes like this tropical, like the most amazing tropical dish you could ever have. So for, for things like that, like, like I was saying in the beginning of this conversation, it took me a couple of years of kind of dabbling with the raw meat before I started including it on a, like a daily basis. And the, those little like, uh, tricks to make it like more exciting and more palatable, like really go a long way. Uh, like the ceviche and the tartare and, uh, using sauces and stuff like that. But the, uh, the the raw milk raw egg smoothies i think everyone in the world could drink one of my smoothies and if i didn't tell them what was in it they'd be like that's the freaking best thing i've ever had and that was like the creamiest most amazing thing and if they like, learned that there's six raw eggs in it they might be a little bit concerned but <laughs> it's uh as far as taste is concerned and like experience there's there's nothing weird about it at all it's like the most delicious thing ever because I, I i was doing smoothies for years before i got into this diet i would use uh you know i went through a phase where i was doing like like store-bought coconut milk with like uh <laughs> i just think i was using like ice even and bananas and a few other things and uh having gone from that to this i can i can safely say this is like a hundred times better than any uh alternative smoothie out there that doesn't contain the rags you can't really achieve the creaminess in any other way and uh for some people who are more squeamish you can use just egg yolks only and you're gonna have just as good of an experience honestly it's a, it's kind of uh it's a little bit easier to to do a egg yolk on its own than than the whole egg for some people <laughs> Yeah, I have to try that. I have I've done raw eggs and milk, raw milk, but I haven't done together with like the honey or the fruit. So I definitely 
definitely want to try that. I'll do that next time I get some wrong. Uh, you won't be able to go back. It's <laughs> it's a decade. Yeah. Yeah. And my chicken. It's, it's amazing because it's so. like it's like wow, the most amazing thing in the world is actually like super healthy. It's that's the best part about it. It's like, oh my god, this is literally a hundred times more fulfilling than when I used to like slam a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's to my face and then end up feeling like shit afterwards. Now I drink a quart of this smoothie and I feel amazing afterwards and I uh, sleep like a baby. So nice. It's uh honestly that's that's the honestly the best thing about uh eating high quality food in general is it's 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 rewarding in all ways. You know you're doing yourself solid, but the uh nothing compares in taste to the food you grow yourself. I mean, I'm sure you you would agree that the the food that you produce in your garden is better than anything you've ever tasted in the store. Dude, carrots like like carrots and tomatoes bought in the store taste like they're just awful, dude. They're so bad. I don't know what it is. I can't like I hate store bought carrots and tomatoes now. I mean, yeah, there's no going back. Especially after you have like certain varieties too, like you know, like you have a sun gold tomato like chopped up with some like basil and stuff like that with some mozzarella and some pasta. It's like nothing. Yeah, you're not you're not gonna be able to buy that in the store um but but yeah do you preserve sure. much of your food um a little bit um i mostly i have to get better at it it's just i'm so busy during that time of year for me to like sit and like can stuff or process it to freeze or dry yeah. it or whatever mainly my thing is um kimchi um which i didn't make last year but i'm gonna switch to sauerkraut just because it's a little bit easier and i pretty much every single year make like a fully like a five gallon bucket full kimchi and then the other thing from everything pretty much the only thing i buy is the ginger and the chili powder everything else like the garlic cabbage everything else i put in there i grow myself and then um the other thing i do is i smoke dry uh peppers so like i love to grow like cubanos and um like jalapenos and stuff i grow that all for seed anyways so when i have a ton of like ripe peppers and I'm processing them for seed. Like I'm cutting them open and scooping the seed out. And then I have like basically just the outside of the pepper, throw those in a smoker and you smoke dry them. So then, you know, I, I have like a bunch of chipotle and anchos that are smoke dried. I crush them up when I make like, nice. I make my own tacos. So you make your own, you make your own chipotle. That's, that's like a smoked jalapeno, right? Yeah. Wow, you just that must smoke, be amazing. Yeah. You just smoke dry jalapenos and they're, yeah. Wow. I, I do them when they're red. So they're nice and they're nice and sweet. And then I, I make my own tortillas nice. from scratch from organic corn flour um, and press them and everything. So you, you do that, you take some like nice ground, like some grass fed ground beef, smash up a bunch of chipotles, brew a little bit of coffee, throw that in like with, with the beef and let it simmer with some onions and some peppers, dude, on it and make a tacos wow. out of that, dude. Co- oh. Coffee in there? Yeah. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Brew, brew a little bit of coffee. Yeah, so it, like you cook it down too with the chipotle. So like you th- you get kind of like that roasty kind of like richness. Like you ground beans. What's that? Uh, you grind the beans first. Yeah, yeah. I just like ground make, coffee. I, yeah, I just make like you know like a half a cup of coffee and throw that in there too, just for just for flavoring. Because I'll what I'll do is I'll even like rehydrate the chipotles in there. So you know, like yeah. so it's like a warm liquid, and then chop them up. And then nice. like just throw everything into the into the pot with the ground beef and onions and peppers and just let it simmer. And then yeah, just make some tacos out of that. That's good. <laughs> Sounds bomb. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but is there anything else you wanted uh you wanted to talk about? I got a couple got a couple quick questions before we uh before we wrap up. Sure. Well, uh <clears throat> kind of uh in, in line with what I was talking about with uh I'm working on scaling up my homestead towards uh the the private food club model where I can just produce small amount of super high quality food um and, and get it to people directly fresh. Um currently the the products that I have produced in the last year or so I hate to say, unfortunate to say that like it's not hasn't been profitable whatsoever. I uh, if I were to you know calculate the amount of time and effort and money that I put into producing the foods I have in my freezer right now, I would have to charge a uh, a ridiculous amount of money to probably even break even, which is uh, on one hand, it's been like a lot of fun to raise food and a homestead and to have animals. And it's uh, there's no way I'd rather learn than to, you know, basically do it the hard way and, you know, fail a bit along the way and uh, learn what works and what doesn't. And that's another, you know, pitfall of the, uh, the way the system is set up right now where, you know, quantity over quality is, is kind of the, the model that sells and uh, to be profitable, unfortunately, often farms have to cut corners or uh, streamline things. So uh, I'm experimenting with this new model. Uh, I, I started a uh, Instagram page and I'm going to be launching a contest this week to uh, promote this, but uh, I'm going to be raffling off some of the pork that I raised because uh, unfortunately, I uh, I don't really want to sell it because, like I said, I would have to charge an arm and a leg to break even on it. So I, I do want to get it out there, though, and I have more pork than I need in my freezer right now. So uh, we're going to be doing a, a few kind of contests and a few raffles coming up here. And uh, basically, the model is going to essentially utilize crowdsourcing to give people an opportunity because, you know, people like to gamble to uh, get their hands on like a big package mailed directly to them of pork that I've raised. Um, and we'll do this by essentially, uh, I'm going to promote this concept on this social media page that I created and somebody will be able to buy like a raffle ticket for like a dollar. And for every dollar you spend, it's going to be a, an entry in this contest. And then, uh, going to essentially just give away a big box or two of, uh, meat and whoever wins will get it mailed directly to their house. So for a dollar or two, people might have an opportunity to, uh, win a bunch of super high quality organic pastured, uh, grain free pork. So, uh, if it ends up working out and I'm able to get enough interest, I'm going to try to continue to use this model to distribute other people's food too. Cause I'm really passionate about getting high quality food into people's hands and using social media to connect people and to raise awareness and educate people about what high quality food is, what unadulterated food is food without barcodes, food that hasn't been 
processed in, with chemicals, uh, food, like meat that has been slaughtered on farm and hasn't been transported and stressed out in a trailer and brought to an unfamiliar place to be slaughtered by someone who has never been involved with that animal's life before. I, I really believe that the most humane way for an animal to uh, become meat is, you know, right outside in the open air on the farm. So uh, if this works out, I'm going to be working with other farms to raffle off other packages of uh, their high quality food as well. And I'd like to, in the next year or two, grow this to the point where there's enough uh, interest and people who are participating by buying uh, a raffle ticket here and there to be able to give away really exciting, enticing gifts to people that are not just uh, meat. I would like to, you know, give away all things that are produced on farms. Uh, my girlfriend, for example, produces some beautiful hides that she tans herself. So we're going to be giving away some hides that she tanned. And uh, I would love to be able to, uh, you know, be involved with going to say like a farmer who produces really high quality grass fed beef and buying a half a cow from him and shipping it out to, you know, two people out there somewhere in this country who spent five bucks and then happened to get like a whole quarter of a grass fed cow mailed to them directly to fill their freezer for their family with. And, uh, in the process create some entertaining content that connects people directly with the farmers and with the uh the message of what they're doing and the importance of regenerative farming and you know raising animals on pasture and doing things the old way uh rather than the new way which is you know a, the sanitary factory farm model that really if any, if everybody actually knew the details of would be pretty horrified by so if people want to check out uh that new page it's farm underscore raffle on instagram and i'm going to be launching the uh the first contest this week which is going to be basically just by liking and sharing the page you will get a entered to win the uh the first shipment of pasture pork going out sometime in the next couple weeks so <laughs> that's my spiel on that i uh it's an experiment and uh i'm trying to just use the the best aspects of social media and the, and the internet, which I, I see to be networking and raising awareness and uh, crowdsourcing, except I know crowdsourcing, I've seen some examples of it doing some amazing things, especially with helping small farms. And uh, I, I want to use it for the, the betterment of everyone and get high quality food into people's hands for, uh, you know, or, dollar here a dollar there however much people want to spend and uh in the process use the uh the excess money that i generate to um grow my farm and just scale up to be able to afford to uh create the the model that i was talking about with uh, private food club because obviously to <clears throat> farm successfully and efficiently it does take <clears throat> excuse me a, a good amount of money to build infrastructure, um, you know, barns and uh, tools and equipment and feed, all of these things are very expensive and the price is continuing to grow. So I'm going to use any excess money generated in this process to 
invest directly into uh, my farming operation here so that I can continue to offer high quality food to people and uh, get the medicine out there. Awesome. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting. I'm definitely going to, going to follow that. And uh, I think I'll be uh, entering myself. So <laughs> hopefully I'll get, nice. hopefully well, I'll win. <laughs> I hope you win. I'd like to send you a big box of uh, pork chops and roasts. <laughs> yeah. It'd be awesome. Um, but before we wrap up, I have uh, two questions I uh, to ask you. The first one is, uh, what right. is your favorite tool on your on your homestead? Favorite tool on my homestead. Let me think about that for a second. I would say favorite tool on my homestead. Geez, well, to be honest, in the last... Uh, in the last year, <clears throat> a tool that I purchased that has been uh, really instrumental with harvesting pigs has been a, uh, I bought a captive bolt gun. And that's basically this little device. It looks like a lightsaber. And uh, you put a, <clears throat> it's like basically a 22 charge goes into it. And uh, there's no bullet, but it's just a powder charge. And when you pull the trigger, it shoots a, a bolt out a couple inches that retracts back into the into the gun and uh that's for humane slaughter and uh <clears throat> previous to that i was using a 22 to harvest pigs and what i found to be an issue there is it was uh a little bit less can I, I was getting inconsistent results and i had a couple um one or two times where uh, pig slaughter didn't go nearly as smoothly as I wanted it to. And the animal probably suffered a little bit because the bullet didn't go exactly where I wanted it to. And uh, it, it took more than one shot to stun the animal as well as uh, when you put a bullet into the animal's head, it goes, goes all the way through. And then you end up finding some shrapnel in an area where it kind of contained the meat or cause da unnecessary damage to otherwise perfectly good meat and can cause contamination. So uh, it really was not, uh, I don't think that's the way to go at all. So I bought this captive bolt gun and it made slaughtering pigs really effortless and smooth. And I no longer feel the guilt that comes with uh, a slaughter not going very smoothly. So basically you just hold that to their head, right? Uh, essentially just up between the eyes, pop the trigger, the pig drops immediately to the ground. And at that point they're unconscious and you can uh, cut the throat and bleed them out and they never experience any pain or suffering. So that's been my, my favorite tool in the last year because uh, I really didn't feel good about the times where using the 22 didn't go so well. So that's part of the, the learning curve, I guess, of uh, just kind of figuring the things out but I'm, I'm never gonna probably slaughter a pig with anything but a captive bolt gun so all right, and yeah. i'm sure it'll when i have an opportunity to do a bigger animal it'll probably uh use it for that too yeah it's interesting no one's no one said that before so <laughs> um we get a lot of <laughs> uh get a lot of like uh what like digging forks and uh hose and stuff but duct tape i think was one <laughs> But no, that's, that's, that's good to have, man. Definitely. Especially nice. if you're going to do a lot of animals. 
you want to make it as humane as possible. Um, and then <clears throat> lastly, what's a word of wisdom or advice for all the other homesteaders and farmers out there? Word of wisdom and advice. Yeah. Uh, just that health is wealth. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I think that um, the more we can prioritize quality, the uh, the better. You know, there's no, um, like, the, the shortcuts that people take by uh, using chemical interventions or, you know, when it comes to, to the animal world, it's very common to use... <clears throat> dewormers and vaccines and antibiotics and a lot of things that are uh kind of mask the uh underlying causes of uh that are that are presenting symptoms and when it comes to symptoms symptoms are really are the cure essentially you know our uh our current state of health or an animal's state of health or a plant state of health is a perfect snapshot or reflection of the soil's health or the internal health so uh, rather than trying to like hide or mask these things to uh, to use them to guide us to just greater ways of caring for ourselves and for the animals and for the land so that we can um, really be in, in harmony with nature instead of working against it and trying to fight against it and wage war on microorganisms and that uh, microorganisms are are basically inseparable from from us, we are made up of billions of microorganisms. So um, it's really just the uh, mentality of like harmonizing with the outer world instead of uh, being like against the outer world. Because uh, really, the, at the end of the day, like health is wealth. It's the the most valuable thing we have, and all the uh, other stuff doesn't matter if you're not well and you and you don't have energy and vitality to uh, enjoy your life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. So that's something everyone definitely needs to strive for. Um, well, do you want to drop your plugs? There's always again? a natural way. There's always a natural way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's that? Uh, I was just asking if you wanted to drop your plugs where people can find you, social media, whatever else you wanted to share. Sure. Yeah my my uh, my Instagram page is uh, mountain dot crown dot homestead, and. Uh, I post a lot of pictures of the food I'm eating on there and uh, pictures of animals and what's going on in the homestead, as well as, uh, you know, just kind of networking with other people who are homesteading and, and farming and uh, share pertinent information that has to do with th that lifestyle and that, uh, you know, way of, you know, raising animals and raising food and connecting with the land. Um, and then the other one, like I said, is uh, also on Instagram, farm underscore raffle. And uh, <clears throat> I'm only on Instagram right now. Currently, I, I don't have any other social media presence, but uh, I'm probably going to launch the farm raffle on YouTube and a couple other social media sites eventually uh, in an effort to, to grow it to the point that I talked about where I can eventually be giving away like whole cows and <laughs> You know, that's the amazing thing about crowdsourcing, you know, like if you have like 50,000 people that all buy a $1 raffle ticket, all of a sudden I have a ton of money that I can give away a ton of stuff with. And that's really, <clears throat> really exciting to me, the, the thought to be able to 
give away so much stuff uh, honestly like all about hooking people up and uh paying it forward so if you follow me on instagram you'll be able to see if i end up uh, branching out to other social media sites but that's where i'm at currently so follow me on there awesome man yeah it was good talking to you it was great talking to you too man i appreciate the opportunity there's uh hope to get a chance to visit your farm someday yeah yeah for sure well that's it for this episode i'd like to thank brent for coming on as always you can find me on instagram at focus seeds or send me an email cory at focus happy growing peace